This is a download from Ormskirk Christadelphians of one of our Sunday afternoon talks. A video of the talk is also available along with more downloads at our website ormskirkchristadelphians.org.uk or join us in person at our meeting room on Moorgate in Ormskirk every Sunday at 1.45pm. We hope you enjoy the talk. Well, uh, good afternoon, everyone. So uh, we're talking about being baptised, and as you know, this is part of um, a series of four talks about four steps to salvation. And um, just to recap, the first one, the first step, was belief, believing. And to believe, it means to be firmly persuaded, not just a whimsical idea in your head, or it might be, yeah, I'll go with that. No, it means that you really are persuaded by it. The second talk last week was about repentance, and repentance means it means a big thing. It means to realize that everything in your life before without God was actually a waste of time. Yeah, it's, It was a sinful life and that you need to leave that behind. So that's a big step. But with belief, it's the only sensible thing to do. Once you believe and are firmly persuaded that the gospel is right, then you will want to change and leave that life behind. And the, the third step is what I'm going to talk about now uh, in, in a few moments, is about being baptised. And the fourth step is about living in Christ. And that's next week. And that's, um, that's about keeping on believing, about not falling back into the sin that you repented from, but that you live to please God and to please Christ. So, there's four steps um, that we've outlined to salvation. Um, and salvation, what's that? Well, salvation is being saved. The whole process of salvation is that we realize that we need to come to God through Christ. We're going to look at a couple of Bible verses. So the first one is John chapter 14 and verse 6. And Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and it is written down for us to read. So he is speaking to us and to anybody else who reads this. Jesus says in John 14, verse 6, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is not, he's not saying, I am an option, okay? I am one of many ways. I am a choice. He is saying, I am the way, not a way, but the way and the truth and the life. There is only one way to salvation, even though we've outlined four steps. There is only one way through Christ. And uh, just to take one more verse on this theme, if you jump over to Acts chapter 4. And verse 12. And we read that word salvation there. Acts 4 verse 12. Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, says that salvation 
is found in no one else. And he's talking about Jesus here. So he's saying that the no one else is no one else other than Jesus. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. And that name he's talking about there is the name of Jesus Christ. So, salvation is being saved and it is through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ only. And it's realising that on our own, that we are lost. And it's really important to say that salvation, being saved, it is not just about escaping death and living for a very long time. Many people would love that. And, and all the time people are talking about that, you know. Oh, if we exercise better, if we eat better, if um, they discover better medicine, if they perfect uh, the freezing of people when, when they die. You know, people are really interested in living forever, but that's not the same as salvation. Salvation is about being with God and his son, the God who made you and the God who loves you. And because God lives forever, the sin that separates you from him and leads to death, it's that sin that needs to be taken away so that you can live forever with him. It's not just about living forever. And um, part of salvation, which is what I'm going to talk about now, is baptism. And I'll go into detail about what baptism actually is, but whatever baptism is, you need it as part of your salvation because God says so. And uh, just to take a verse that makes that point, if you go to Mark chapter 16 and verse 16, It says, whoever, whoever you are, whatever you have done, whoever believes and is baptised will be saved. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. It's interesting how that's worded, isn't it? It says, if you believe and are baptised, you'll be saved. But if you don't believe, you won't be saved. It doesn't say... Whoever doesn't believe and doesn't get baptised, which is interesting. It doesn't flip it completely around the other way. So it says, believe and be baptised, saved. But if you don't believe, you won't be saved. And the reason it just says, and if you don't believe, you won't be saved. Because if you believe, you will get baptised. Right? If you don't believe, well, you don't believe and you won't get baptised anyway. So it doesn't need to say that. So whoever believes and is baptised will be saved. So... What is uh, baptism? And I'm going to talk about the mechanics, if you like, of baptism first, okay? So the word baptism, it's from the Greek word baptizo, right? So you, so you can see straight away that the English word we, we say, baptism, is almost the same as the Greek word, because the New Testament of the Bible was uh, originally written in Greek so you can see the English word baptism and the Greek word baptizo you see that they're almost the same word which basically means that when we read the word baptism like we just did there it's not the word baptism but baptize the same uh, root word whoever believes in this baptized will be saved when we read the word baptism in the New Testament we see that it's pretty much an untranslated word okay people have not chosen when they translated the Bible into English, they have not chosen an equivalent English word. They've just kept pretty much that same 
Greek word baptizo. And that's a problem because when words aren't translated and given their equivalent meaning in English, then um, people just make up their own meanings. So people will say, well, what baptism means is, well, it's when someone takes a bit of water and sprinkles it like they do with babies on, on your forehead. Now, the Greek word for that is the word rantizo. It's a totally different Greek word. So if that's what God meant when he said baptism, he wouldn't have said baptism. He would have said rantizo, but he doesn't. Or some people say, you know, it's just about, say, making a sign, a religious sign of a cross on your head and pouring water on your forehead. It's not true either. I, you know, you've got to be careful of the information we get these days if we're looking for answers. If you type into Google, um, what is the meaning of baptism? The first thing it will come up with is, oh, it just means um, sprinkling water on your head. That, that is wrong. Okay, that is just plain wrong. And it's not what holy people in the Bible, people like John the Baptist, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul, it's not what they understood or intended to be understood when they talked about baptism. Because what baptism means, what the actual word means, and what was actually intended by the word, it means to dip under the water, to immerse, to submerge. And just to show you this, it's a lot more powerful, I think, to understand the Bible by looking at the context of things rather than the study of words. But obviously that the context doesn't undermine what the word means. So let's go to John chapter 3 and verse 23. And this is talking about John the Baptist, right? Whose very name, yeah, is associated with baptism. And I think the reason they call him John the Baptist or John the Baptizer is because what John was doing was something quite new in its concept and what it was intended to be. I mean, yeah, the Jews had ceremonial washing, but what John was doing was something radical, something new. And the Bible tells us in John chapter 3, verse 23, that John was baptizing at a place called Aenon, near Salim. And the reason that he chose this location? Because there was plenty of water. Right? That's why John the Baptist baptized at this place, because there was plenty of water right so you see well that makes sense that baptism means to go completely under the water to go completely underwater you need a lot of water and remember this is first century israel didn't have baths and taps you had to go to the water yeah our, our modern age you know some of us sometimes young people <coughs> probably never seen a reservoir okay but not in those days, you know, you had to go to the water source. So John goes to the water source because he needs a large body of water to baptize people, to dip people in, to submerge, to immerse people. Okay, here's another one. Go back to Mark chapter 1 and verse Again, it's talking about John the Baptist, right? And John preached about repentance. He also preached about the kingdom of God, people to believe in that. Anyway, verse 5, it says, The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, to John the Baptist, confessing their sins 
they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Yeah, you need a lot of water to baptize people, hence John the Baptist baptized at the Jordan River. And go further on to verse 9 and verse 10. It says, At that time, Jesus himself, he came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Okay, now you sometimes see pictures of artists' impressions of John the Baptist sprinkling water over Jesus' head in the River Jordan. A bit nonsense that you'd have to go all the way to the River Jordan, which is probably quite a long walk as well, so you'd take water with you. So why take water with you for drinking water in the desert as you were going out into the country to get all the way to, to the river? We well, didn't need to go to the river, but you did if you had to be submerged. Anyway, read on, verse 10. It says, as Jesus was coming up out of the water, so he'd gone down into the water, and now he's coming up, and the Spirit uh, of God descended on him, on the Lord Jesus, like a dove. Uh, just one more verse on this point of the, the mechanics of baptism. If you go to Acts chapter 8, and here we read about um, an Ethiopian man traveling through the desert. Again, just like I just said, if someone's traveling through the desert, they would have water with them for drinking water. Okay? They'd have enough water to sprinkle on their heads if that's what baptism meant. So Acts 8, verse 36 to 39, this Ethiopian uh, is traveling through the desert and the, Philip is teaching him the gospel and explaining it to him. And um, they travel along the road. This is Acts 8, verse 36. And um, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And Philip says to him, if you believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God, I'll baptize you. So verse 38, the Ethiopian gives orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water. Philip baptized him, and then they came up out of the water. Right? And it doesn't just mean they went down the riverbank to stand in the water. It means they went down in the water, as the word baptism means. And obviously, you, you can gather from that, anybody who's sensibly reading those passages realized that it's only when they found a large body of water was it practical to be baptized yeah could have sprinkled drinking water over his head at any time but it was only when they found enough water to submerge the whole person that was it practical appropriate to be baptized okay so some people might say okay well what if we just sprinkle water over people's heads we know that's not what the word baptism means but that's just a word it's just what we call it and you do your immersion baptism, we'll do our sprinkling baptism, live and let live. Well, people can think like that. You can't stop people from thinking like that. But if you think like that, you're on your own. Okay, It might be on your own in the sense that, yeah, it might be lots of people with you who believe that. But in terms of God, and that's what matters, you're on your own. Because your religion and your practice is not from God okay so that's the mechanics of baptism it means to fully emerge to immerse to submerge under the water so if you say I've been baptized if you truly have you are saying I have been submerged I have been fully immersed in the water okay that's what baptism is but I'd say to that so what Okay, so what if you have been 
under a, a body of water. Even though baptism from God is about immersion, submission, uh, and submersion, um, it's not to be seen as just some sort of religious ritual or, or habit. We, we have to think deeply, uh, excuse any water-related pun there, about the symbolism of baptism, if we are to truly understand it and participate in it. So what is baptism? Why this thing about water? What's it about? What's it trying to teach us? Why did God give us that symbol yeah, of, of, as a step to salvation? Why this thing connected with going down into the water and coming up again out of it? So I'm just going to ask Chris to read some verses from Romans chapter 6, verses 3 to 11. Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 6, verses 3 to 11. Know ye not that as many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, and henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Okay, thanks Chris. So if you were reading that carefully, you would, you would see in that the connection, strong connection that Paul brings out here between Christ's death and resurrection and going down into the water being submerged and coming up out of the water, which, which is baptism. If you look at verse 6, it's saying to us there that there is this thing called sin, this body of sin, meaning that these bodies we live in, this life we live in, this natural life, is full of sin. Yeah, We, we do sinful things. We think sinful things. That is the state that we are in. That is how everybody in the world is, is in that state and even babies that haven't done anything wrong haven't done anything good either but they grow up to be just like people in the world and that's the state of things and God is saying that he wants to get rid of that baptism is saying that well we want to get rid of that too that we want to die to our old life and live a new eternal life in Jesus so when we go under the water we symbolically well we, we would literally if we stayed down there at the waters of baptism we drown we die so that water it represents 
the grave. It represents death. But it also represents a washing and a cleansing. That the, the sins have been washed away. That we come up out of the water to a new life. Raised up out of the water to new life. So, so you know, you can appreciate there why other interpretations of baptism, such as just sprinkling water on you, um, they don't really fit, do they? If we're talking about being buried and sins washed away and then coming up again to new life. Yeah, there's no we, we need in baptism this going down into the water and coming up out of the water washed. And like I said, you can see the strong theme that runs through those verses we just had read. The, the connection between a baptism of water and the death and resurrection of Jesus. Um, for example, verse 4, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So when you are baptized, you're uniting yourself symbolically, but in, in spirit, with the Lord Jesus who died for our sins. And just as he came to life, was raised to life, as you come out of the water, you're showing your belief and hope in that same thing for you. Yeah, That you come out of the water to a new resurrected life. And the thing is, though, whilst the death part, when you're down under the water, or like Jesus was in the grave, that's a very short-lived thing. But you stay out of the water, you stay alive for eternity. So, the act of baptism is about being buried and being made alive again. Baptism is an act given by God as God's way of letting you express to him your desire to leave your old life and be united with Christ forever and with all the promises that God has made for all his holy people. And I'm just going to take a reading from Galatians here, uh, chapter 3, verses 26 to 29. It starts there by saying you're all sons of God. And the word sons in the Bible is a very generic term, so I'll put it into modern parlance. So you're all sons and daughters of God through faith in Christ Jesus. So that's the belief part, the word faith, belief, to be firmly persuaded. It's the same. Verse 27, for all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. And there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ via baptism, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs, according to the promise. And, you know, you've heard those jokes, haven't you? You know, there's only two types of people in the world, you know, those who, um, I don't know, those who eat chocolate and those who don't or something like that you know people like to come up with these statements there's only two types of people in the world but the bottom line is there are only two types of people in the world and they are those who are on the side of christ who enter into a relationship and the promises of god through baptism and those who are not and that that is it as far as god is concerned that's the only way he looks at the world those who are in his salvation 
and those who are not. That's the only way, and hence it gives the list there of different people groups. Men, women, doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman, doesn't matter if you're a slave or you're free, doesn't matter what um, nationality you are. It matters what religion you are, okay? It matters that you believe in, in the things of God, yeah? Not just some uh, made-up stuff. But all the other divisions are meaningless to God. There's two types of people in the world. Those who are part of his salvation in Christ through baptism and those who are not. And uh, But as well as baptism being an, a way of you expressing to God that you want to be saved, right? it's also um, an act that God has given to say to you that if you believe and do this, I will save you. Yeah. So God makes his, even though baptism is something created by God, it's a way through which he says to you, if you do this, I'll, I'll save you. And you express to him that, yeah, you, you believe and you want to be saved. And that's uh, baptism. But I had um, three points, okay, three points that I want to say to finish off. Okay, so the first one considers our objections to baptism. The second one uh, is about what we believe when we get baptised. And finally, well, I'll save that till finally, but it's about thinking bigger. Okay, so we'll come to that in a minute. So the first of those three points I wanted to mention is our objections to baptism. And I want us to consider four people in the Bible. Okay, and the first one... Um, well, before I give the first example, let, let me tell you why I'm giving you this example first. Um, you might think, well, baptism, you know, it's a bit undignified. And, well, the first thing I'd say to that is, well, if you think baptism's undignified, try eternal death. I think that's a lot more undignified. But, yeah, I, I agree. I suppose it is a bit undignified for a a grown man or a grown woman to publicly have a bath, if you like, with their clothes on, okay? Yeah, it, it could be a bit of an undignified thing. And to, to declare to people, people that you know, maybe people that you don't know, because it's a public thing when someone gets baptised usually, to declare to people that you are in need of dying to your old life so that you can have a new life. Now, I guess, though, it, it has to be a bit like that in a way because um, it's so that we don't um, feel dignity or glory in ourselves and our own ways, but we glory in what God has done. And, and so the example for that is actually... Uh, somebody in the Old Testament. Now, baptism is a New Testament thing, right? As in the mechanical act of going under the water and coming out for an individual. That's a New Testament thing, but there's lots of principles about it in the Old Testament. So we're going to go to Second Kings and uh, chapter 5. And we read about a man there called Naaman. And Naaman was a Syrian and uh, he was a warrior. And he was very important, very powerful, but he was also very sick. And he had leprosy, which was a very uh, horrible skin disease, I suppose the equivalent of AIDS today. 
there was no cure and uh, he needed help uh, most people who had leprosy even though they knew they needed help didn't ask for help because nobody had a cure they kind of given up anyway um, Naaman is introduced to Elisha um, by a, the, a, a servant a slave girl who was an Israelite and Elisha had the power of God in him or the ability to perform miracles on behalf of God and um, Elisha says to Naaman um, so let me find the verse so Elisha uh, so it's 2nd Kings chapter 5 and verse 10 Elisha says to Naaman basically if you want God and his power to heal you from this incurable disease Second uh, Kings 5 verse 10 Elisha sent a messenger to say to him to Naaman Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. Now, you'd think, if you look at verses 10, uh, verses 11 now, sorry, verse 11, it says that Naaman, after hearing this news that he had to baptize in the Jordan seven times, he objected. He went away angry and said, I thought that you would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God. Wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. So that's his first objection. Well, why do I have to get, do this washing thing? Can't he just click his fingers and do it? And then he said, verse 12, Are not Abana and Farpa, the rivers of Damascus, which is where in Syria where Naaman's from, better than any of the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned off. Uh, and he went off in a rage. Now, you'd think, wouldn't you, that if someone had this incurable disease, yeah, that he would be desperate to try anything. Right? And we have an incurable disease called sin. right? And God has said, okay, we'll be baptized then. Right? And yet, people object. And it's like, you are in a state of incurable disease and you should be desperate to get out of it so why object yeah but human pride it knows no bounds and often we want to make things about god things about ourselves and i think naaman is is a clearly shows that state of mind but he humbled himself he did what he was told to do and there was nothing powerful or magic about that water it was about his faith when he went in the water just like there's nothing powerful about there's no such thing as holy water it's just regular water but through the acts, through our faith God heals us of, of our sins now thinking about objections still um, do you know about the thief on the cross okay let's go to Luke 23 and verse 39 now a bit like Naaman really he said well can't Elisha just wave his fingers over me? Why do I have to do anything to be saved? Um, people say about this thief on the cross, I'll explain about him in a minute. People say this thief on the cross, well, he just believed. There's no record of him getting baptized. And this is New Testament now, right? Baptism is a commandment. So why do I have to get baptized? Now, what happens is if you go to Luke 23, verse 39, Jesus is being crucified. He's being treated as a criminal, even though he's not. 
He's being treated as a sinner, even though he's not. And I think what the Romans did, or the Jews manipulated, to make Jesus look more of a sinner, they crucified him with a criminal on his left and a criminal on his right. With Jesus in the middle as if he's the worst, like the ringleader of the criminals. Yeah? Really nasty thing to do, not only to crucify someone, but to, you know, to make out that he deserved it when he didn't. And one of the criminals, verse 39, who hung there, hurled insults at Jesus. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. Well, yeah, Jesus is the Christ and he, he would have saved him if he'd have believed. But the other criminal, he gets it. He gets what's going on. He gets that this is an injustice. And the other criminal rebuked him, the other criminal. He says, don't you fear God since you are under the same sentence. Verse 41, we are punished justly because he was a criminal and so was the other one. For we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he says to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. In verse 43, because of this man's faith in recognizing that Jesus is without sin, in recognizing that he was with sin yeah, and deserved to die, as you know, we, we should. I'll come to that in a minute. Um, and recognizing the hope of the kingdom because of that. Jesus answers, verse 43, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. I'm not meaning literally that day Jesus was saying, today I'm making this promise to you. All right. Now, <coughs> um, the man is given a definite, right, 100% guarantee that he will be in the kingdom of God, that he will be saved, that he will have salvation. All right? But you don't read about him getting baptised. Now, first thing I'd say to that is, well, if anybody wants to be saved and says, well, I don't have to be baptized because the thief on the cross didn't, okay, we'll swap places with the thief on the cross then, right? Yeah, I mean, if you prefer to be crucified to be saved, yeah, go for it, you know? But the other thing is, um, the man might have been baptized and he might have backslid. We don't know that. But... Let's say for argument's sake that this thief on the cross that Jesus gives an assurance of salvation wasn't baptised. It doesn't matter, right? Because Jesus Christ is the king. He said it over his head when he was crucified, king of the Jews. A king has authority to change his rules when he needs to because of situations. A king can make exceptions. But we don't. We do not have the authority to say to someone, well, it's okay for you, you don't need baptism, yeah, because the thief on the cross didn't. No, we don't have that authority. We only have the authority to do what we have been told. Jesus can do what he likes, in a sense, because he is the king, he is the sovereign, yeah, under God. But we are not of that authority. So exceptions should never be used to undermine the whole. Okay, that's very devious when people do that. Okay, All right, anyway, another objection people have, they say, well, Abraham, he's going to be in the kingdom. He wasn't baptized and we are not circumcised. Abraham had to be circumcised, whereas the New Testament clearly says you do not and it doesn't have any value. Um, it's important to understand the way God works. God works in dis 
dispensations. Okay? At certain periods of time, he makes certain contracts and deals, if you like, with people that are binding. And in other generations, he makes other contracts and other deals with people that are binding. And the details of those contracts differ. God doesn't change. Okay? He's not contradicting himself. God's overall plan and purpose is always to save people. I mean, the example I use is like um, baby Jasper. Uh, there's a baby at the back if you can't see, right? It's my son. And uh, we put him in nappies, right? Okay, because he needs them. He's a baby and that's what we do with him, right? And if he tried to not put on nappies or put on adult clothes, we'd be like, no, that's not right. You need to stay in the nappies. Leah is my daughter at the back there who's 11 years old. It would be wrong to put her in nappies, wouldn't it? Yeah. So you see, my method of dealing with the children has changed in its detail, but the overall principle of me taking care of their needs as needs be and raising them up to be my children, that has not changed and that will never change. And it's the same with God. So sometimes he deals differently at different times. And it's important to understand that. Okay. So it's stupid, therefore, to say, oh, well, Abram wasn't baptized, so I don't have to be. No, that was a different covenant that God made with Abraham from the one he makes with us now. The one he makes with us now, as we read, Mark 16, verse 16, the New Testament, the word testament means covenant, contract, deal. The new deal is that baptism is essential. And um, we have only been given in this day and age under God, we have only been given the authority to teach and preach what God has commanded us to do in this current dispensation. Okay, I said I'd give you four examples of objections. Um, so I gave you um, Naaman, the thief on the cross, and Abraham. Uh, the final one is Peter, okay, the apostle Peter. Now this is a very different kind of objection that, that um, Peter makes. Okay, he, he's not like Naaman saying, couldn't God do something better? Right? He's not like what people say about the thief on the cross. Well, the thief on the cross didn't get baptized, so I didn't have to. Uh, he's not like people saying, well, Abram didn't get baptized. He got circumcised, so, and I don't have to get circumcised, so why do I have to get baptized? Not that kind of objection. Peter is very different. Okay, let's, let's look at him. Turn to John and chapter 13. And verse 8. And it's not talking about baptism directly here. It is talking about washing. Right? It's not about an, an involves water. Not a huge amount of water. Maybe the amount of water that a man could carry in a pot on his head, maybe. But not a huge amount of water. Right? And Peter... Yeah, the, sorry, the reason that Peter's objection is different is because it springs from a good motive. And I'll explain in a minute. Not, an ob, not, a, not trying to twist God's commandments to suit himself, but it comes from a good motivation. I'll explain in a minute. So Peter is, is with Jesus. Jesus is with Peter and the disciples. And Jesus is washing his disciples' feet. Now, that was the job of the, the lowest servant. Yeah, And Jesus is the master. So what is the master doing, getting down on his hands and knees, washing the feet of the servants? And when he comes to wash Peter's feet, if you go to John 13, verse 8, just the first part of verse 8, 
No, says Peter, you shall never wash my feet. He tells Jesus, no, you're not going to do that. What Peter is saying is, you are too important to wash my feet. He's objecting for a good reason, because he's speaking in truth. He is making the recognition that Jesus is better than him. Well done. You know, that's true. Yeah. And he realizes that if he should be washing Jesus' feet as, as the, the servant. Jesus is not the servant. And, and try and put it like this. Imagine there was a doctor who um, risked a very good doctor who helped lots and lots and lots of people every day in his practice. And he went off to, I don't know, some tropical part of the world to a jungle to discover um, a plant. And only this plant could give this rare medicine. And he discovered this medicine and he brought it back and made a cure that for your illness and saved your life. Yeah. But the doctor died because he got a tropical disease while he was off in a, a foreign country. If you said, I don't feel right taking this medicine because this doctor gave this medicine at the price of his life and his life's worth a lot more than mine. If that was your reason for not taking the medicine, that, that's, that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. You're being conscious about it. But how would the doctor feel right, if he'd given his life to save you and then you didn't even... Take what he'd given his life for. The doctor's life would be in vain. And it's absolutely true. We are not worthy of baptism. We are not worthy of what the Lord Jesus has done for us. But he considered it worth it. He considered us worth it to lay down his life for us. And that's why if you go back to John 13 verse 8... Jesus answers to Peter, he says, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And that's true of all the things that God does for us. We are not worthy, but God considers us worth it. So much so that he gave his son. And so we should not let that go in vain. We should not say God's plan is not good enough for me. God's plan is good enough for us. We're not good enough for it, but it is good enough. Sorry. Yeah, we're not, we are not good enough for God. It's true. We are sinners. But God considers it worth making us good enough for him. I hope you understand that. appreciate what I'm trying to say there. So we need to um, pick up on what the Lord has done, done for us. And be continually thankful for his mercy. And for his grace. Now, second point. Uh, remember I said there was three points. This is the second one. I'd just like us to think about when we are baptised, does it matter what we believe? Well, yes. right. And if we just believe a few things about God and we accept that, yeah, we, we're sinners and we need to be saved. Um, and we get baptised and we go under the water like full immersion that's not enough okay it's really important what we believe when we get baptized i'll show you an example in the bible if you go to acts chapter 19 and uh, verses 1 to 5 and this is interesting as well it all takes place at a place called ephesus okay which is um part of ancient 
Greece, modern day Turkey. Um, so Acts 19 verses 1 to 5. While Apollos, he, he was one of the disciples, was at Corinth, Paul, that's the Apostle Paul, he took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples. And Paul obviously listening to their conversations and so on. He's like, something's not right here. So he asks them a question, verse 2. He says, did you receive the Holy Spirit? That's the power of God to do certain miracles, which was given by God to the first century disciples. It's not given now, which is self-evident, because there are no real miracles going on. Okay. Um, so Paul says, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And that these disciples, they answer, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul says, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Verse 4, Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him. That is in Jesus. Verse 5, so on hearing this, the disciples, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. So read that carefully. These men at Ephesus, they are disciples. They're called disciples. They fellowship with the other brothers at Ephesus. They had been baptized under the, the teachings of John the Baptist. And there's nothing wrong with the baptism, the water baptism of John the Baptist. Nothing wrong with that. Jesus had that. So it can't be anything wrong with it. But their baptism was meaningless, hence they had to be baptised. I'm not going to say rebaptized because there's only one baptism, as I'll show you in a minute. They had to be baptised for the first time because they're going under water some years ago, I guess, only knowing the baptism of John. It was insufficient, and the reason it was insufficient and didn't count for anything was because they hadn't grasped the teaching the, the fundamental teaching of John the Baptist. If you look at what John the Baptist taught about, his teaching is full of teaching about the Holy Spirit. Full of it. And they say, oh, we haven't even heard of a Holy Spirit, yeah? So they obviously didn't grasp what John's teaching is about. And so let's go to the letter that Paul writes to Ephesus. So Ephesians chapter 4 and I guess he writes this after, well, I think you can historically work it out. He writes this after his preaching at Ephesus that we read about in Acts chapter 19. So it's interesting that he says this, writing to the recipients, the believers at Ephesus, of which would be these people who were baptized when Paul meets them and finds out that they hadn't understood what they were doing. So Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 3. Paul says, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Verse four, count them up, okay? He says there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. Verse five, one Lord, that's the Lord Jesus, one faith, one baptism, and verse six, the final one, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. 
If you count up how many ones there are, you'll see that there's seven. And seven in the Bible represents completeness. And so it's not just about baptism. It it is, for example, he mentions the one hope and the one faith. Remember what I said before, baptism represents going down into the water and dying and coming up to a resurrection, just like Jesus was raised up, coming up to new life. If you don't even believe or understand that when people die, they die, how can the resurrection mean anything to you? Yeah. If you have faith uh, in, or belief or hope that when you die, you're going to heaven, right? yet the Bible teaching is a hope of resurrection when Jesus comes back to the earth to live on the earth in the kingdom of God, yet you believe that when you get baptized, God is going to give you life in heaven, then when you're being baptized, you're putting your faith and hope in something that God is not offering. So it's a waste of time. So it's really important what you understand, what you believe when you get baptized. And be careful what I'm saying here. I'm not saying, I'm not saying that you have to understand and appreciate everything when you get baptized. Apollos didn't. If you go back to Acts 19, you read about Apollos and go to the verses before in Acts 18. Apollos didn't know everything. He wasn't quite sure. And um, I think it's Aquila and Priscilla, two of the disciples, had to take Apollos aside and correct him on a few things, it would seem. And you read about the disciples. They didn't understand things either, very important things, because it hadn't been revealed yet. Okay, But they were still okay. They didn't need to go under the water again, because their baptism, which was John's baptism, was sufficient. Yeah, so you don't have to know everything, you don't have to understand everything. But there are certain fundamental things you really need to understand, such as the the bodily resurrection of Jesus from the dead, which is what baptism represents. And being baptized with a belief that is not just misunderstood, but is completely false, that's not acceptable either, because that's not from God. Okay? Look at what we read in Ephesians. There is one faith, one hope, one baptism. You need to take all these things on board. And my final point, I said there were three points to finish. This is the final one. And I said it was about thinking bigger. Think bigger. Don't just think of the act of baptism. Don't just think of the water. Don't just think of the symbology, but think of the... The reality of what the water and the symbology are all about. And we're going to finish with two quotes from the Apostle Paul. So if we go to Galatians chapter 6. Sorry, chapter 2 first. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. He's speaking, he doesn't mention the word baptism, but he's making a point that his life has changed. Baptism marks a point in your life, okay? It's not the end all and be all of your salvation in Christ, okay? But it marks an important point. And Paul, I think, is relating back to that because he says, I have been, this is Galatians 2 verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ 
And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And crucifixion is a very painful thing. I don't say that from experience, obviously, but you don't have to have experienced that to appreciate how being nailed to planks of, or trees or wood or whatever it is a very painful thing. But when Paul talks about being crucified with Christ, he doesn't remember it as a painful thing. He remembers it as a joyful thing in that he remembers the day when his life changed and his old sins were killed, were destroyed, were got rid of. And he now lives. He lives a new joyful eternal life. And finally, go to Galatians 6 and verse 14. And Paul says, Galatians 6 verse 14, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. He's remembering when he changed. Okay, he was, We read about in Acts how Paul was baptized, how he left his old life behind and killed it off and started a new one. And verse 15, he says, Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. So the old tradition, the old law, yes, God gave it to Abram, but God has said, no, it's about baptism now. Okay, What matters is a new creation. That's what matters. And when we're baptized, we are a new creation, born out of the water. Just like we started our natural births when we were babies, out of our mother's wombs, out of water there. It's the same with baptism. We are born a new creation out of water and think about this everything without exception everything in the world part of this creation that we see around us the trees the plants the birds all the people all the animals everything is dying everything but in Jesus Christ without exception those in Jesus Christ do not die yeah, and you might think, okay, well, I know Christians who are getting old and, and one was buried. We had his funeral last week. That's not how God looks at it. God doesn't look at that as death anymore. He looks at that as, well, they're just having a sleep because I'm going to raise them up to life again when Jesus comes. So they're not dead. Okay. <laughs> On the other hand, there's plenty of people walking around out there who you think, oh, well, they're not dead. They're alive. They're enjoying their lives. But to God, they are dead because they are old creation. They're like, you know, like zombies. They're like the living dead because they live without any hope. But in Christ, if we're baptized, we become part of Christ, part of a new creation. And everything that is in Christ, everything, it lives. It never dies, maybe sleeps, but it never dies. It lives or, well, I shouldn't say it, right? The, the men and women that believe that live and live forever. Okay. We hope you enjoyed that talk. For more downloads, videos, information about what we believe, and details of our meeting times, go to our website, ormskirtchristadelphians.org.uk. Mm-hmm.